Hey, today, like I said, um, for Curate Mount Monganui, this looks a little bit different today. And Curate Mount is joining our whole online community today. So how cool is that we're all gathered together? Um, yeah, come on. We've, we've got it. Come on, we've got a whole lot of people cheering right now. I was going to say we've got a studio audience, but that's just not how it works. That's not how church works. Church is something we participate in. So we've got a studio community today joining with you in your lounge rooms. And um, they are clearly pumped to be here. So um, yeah, so it's really, really great. Today, my message is around detours, and I kind of felt like that's very fitting for a day like today, where we do feel a little bit detoured. New Zealand went back into different levels, depending on what part of the country you're in. And so we feel a little bit detoured in this part of the world, just like the rest of you, of course. And um, yeah, and so this message is really a little bit about detours and what we do when we come up against those. You know, as I was preparing this message, I um, was reminded of a story where um, I was on an Uber trip. And the Uber trip started out okay, you know, like you said your, your highs and your hellos, you got comfortable and off you went. And, um, and then along the way, just kind of started to question where we're going and is that actually the right way and are we going to get to our destination? It was, I was starting, to be honest, to lose confidence in the driver. There was definitely some moments where I felt like I was going to suggest, look, would you like me to jump in the driver's seat? Maybe we could just pull over right now. You hop out. I'll jump in. I feel like that might be better in this situation. You see, there was a few near misses. There was, <laughs> there was like definitely heading in the wrong direction um, turns. And I was just starting to lose confidence. And, and as I was starting to lose more confidence, and especially when there was some very, very close collisions, I at one point decided, well, maybe it's best that I open this door and just jump. Um, I was just getting to that point. And so I was on this trip in this Uber driver, and as I was losing confidence with the driver, and I'm sure this is the only person in Uber history to have ever done this. If you're an Uber driver, I'm sure it's not you. But, but either way, I just started to lose confidence, and I thought that's sometimes how life can look like. Things are not going how you thought they would go. The, the twists and the turns, the curveballs, things feel a little bit more close for comfort. And things are just not going how you thought they would go. And in that moment, you just want to kick God out of the driver's seat. You want to say, hey, God, this is not what I signed up for. This is not where we're supposed to be going. And so maybe I'll jump in the driver's seat. Would you like to have a go on the passenger seat for a little bit, God? And sometimes we, we just challenge him and his ability to plan ahead. I'm quite a planner and I like to, I also like to live in the future. I'm quite a futuristic type person and that's where I love to be in the future. And so this is something that I've really had to work on and navigate in my life and how to not lose confidence in what God's doing, even when it's not what I thought, even when it's not in the direction I was hoping, even when things feel really tough. And so I felt like today we should talk a little bit about these kinds of detours in our life. And there's a really great passage in the Bible in Exodus that speaks a whole lot about detours. And if you want to, if you've got your Bible, why don't you open it up to Exodus chapter 13? And um, their scriptures are going to come up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible. But we're going to read together because I believe that God's going to teach us through this passage why He detours us. What's His purpose? in these detours. 
And we're picking it up in chapter 13. And, and what's happening right now is we're at this grand point. It feels like it's the good news point of the story, like the crescendo we've all been waiting for. Here we've come to a point where a whole lot of miracles have happened. Like there's been plagues, there's been things that could only be explained by God's hand in the Israelites' life, where He is literally using these miracles to loosen the grip of the Pharaoh who is holding the Israelites captive. And I love this part of the story because in this part of the story, it takes a turn that we didn't see coming. Here we thought that God was finally going to lead the Israelites to the promised land. But instead, something else happens. So let's take a look. In chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the sea, the Red Sea. This is not what we saw coming. If we dig a little bit deeper into that scripture, you would notice that instead of God leaving them, leading them on the most direct route to the promised land, He skips the main road and takes a massive detour. Why do you think He did that? The first point that I think we can discover in this passage right here is that God uses detours to prepare us, to prepare us. You see, what we can read in here is that He chose not to go down the main road through the Philistine territory. Now let's look at a little bit of context right here. The Israelites had been in slavery. Some scholars say for 199 years. Other scholars say that it was 215 years. Exodus in the chapter earlier actually says that it was 430 years, although most scholars believe that that's a typo of some sort. But I think we can all agree that it was for a very long time. So the Israelites had been in captivity. They had been under slavery by the Pharaoh's rule in Egypt for a very long time. Can you imagine how they would have walked out of that season of their lives? I can't imagine that they would have been really strong and fit. I am sure that they would have looked malnourished and would have been somewhat traumatized from generations after generations after generations living in this way. And so God, in all of His knowledge and wisdom, what He says is, hey, I know that the main road is the direct road to the promised land, to the thing that I've got for you, but you're not ready yet. You see, you've been in slavery for all these years. You have been held up. You've been traumatized by your captors. And you're not ready to face the Philistines that are along that main road. You see, the Philistines are warriors. And when you see those Philistines, I'm worried that you're going to go running back to the thing that held you captive in the first place. You see, God takes us into the next season so that He can heal us, so that He can restore us, so that He can prepare us for the next thing that He has for our lives. And He doesn't want us to shrink back when we start to see the adversities that might come our way. You see, he knew that the Egyptians, sorry, the Israelites would take one look at the Philistines and run straight back to the Egyptians. 
God knows us better than we know ourselves. And when we stay under the hand of God, we know that He can prepare us for what He has for us. You see, in the heat of the desert, under God's hand, He forged in the Israelites a character that couldn't have happened if they went down the main road. He took that time out because He knew what was best for them. You know, so often in our lives, we, we see the main road in the distance and we're like, why are we not going down that way, God? And, and at that time, sometimes we even want to bail out of His plans that He has for us because it's scary. And sometimes waiting is hard, especially if you're waiting under the heat of a desert. But God knows the best thing for us. And He knows that it's in those times that He would forge your character because He has a great plan for you. And it is to prosper you, not to harm you. And so therefore, He will prepare you so that His plan will prosper you in the right time and in the right season. I love um, if we carry on reading in chapter 14 and in this story, we really see how this detour in the Israelites' life reveals the glory of God. Let's read from verse 1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp between Migdol and the sea. I always leave out that word. Who can say that word? <laughs> camp there along the shore, across from Baal-zevon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this, hear this, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites camped there as they were told. And then if we sort of fast forward a little bit in chapter 14 and we head to verse 15, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, So right now the Israelites have been going around in circles and, and the Lord literally is telling them, Hey, I want you to turn back now. I want you to go and camp back there. So if you look on the map, you can see that they're actually going around in circles, like God is sending them round and round. And basically, Pharaoh's like, hey, hold up. Pharaoh is going to think that we're confused. We're going to look so much more vulnerable to our enemy. He is going to know that we look lost and we are ready to be taken out. And so God's leading them in this way and creating a bit of chaos. And then in verse 15, He leads them to the Red Sea. We're coming towards the perfect storm here, guys. In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea, the massive sea that's in front of them. Can you imagine the Egyptians behind them charging and the sea in front of them? They're trapped. They're in absolute chaos. This is the perfect storm. And then it says this, that He will divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. Hear this, 
my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. You see, sometimes He leads us into chaos. He leads us literally into the point of no return, like the perfect storm. We don't know what way we can go. It feels like enemies on all sides are approaching, but it's in that time. It is in that moment that if we don't give up, that if we endure, that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are gonna see Him move in a way that only He can and His glory will be revealed. He is writing a story of His glory in your life. And when He would insert His name into your story, I can tell you what, you'll not be disappointed. You see, He wouldn't want this story to read like, hey, the Israelites were led by God around in circles. The Pharaoh saw their vulnerability. God led them to the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians took them out. Like that's not the kind of story God's gonna write. He writes a story that will reveal His glory. And we can see if we go a few books along in the Bible in a book called Joshua in chapter two, there's this prostitute by the name of Rahab. And there's some Israelites that have come to spy out this land, the promised land before they finally take over the possession of this land that God had promised them. And this this woman, Rahab, she sees them and she says to them, Hey, I know you, you're the Israelites, you're you're from that crew that I saw God do what He did when He parted the waters and led you through. I've seen you coming. I know that there is a God because I've seen your story. And so Rahab believed through the glory that God revealed in the Israelites' moment of, of need. And that's a promise for us. God's gonna reveal a beautiful story in that chaos and that mess. You know, like Jesus came to this earth and He was birthed in a stable, in a manger, far from perfect conditions. But that's exactly where Jesus wants to be birthed in your story right now, right in the middle of the mess, because that is what He does. He comes in and He turns it all around. He will reveal His glory in your messy circumstance. It is not too messy for God. And I just feel right now, someone just literally asked that question. How could He take this? I'm telling you right now, that's exactly where His glory will be revealed in your life. In Jesus' name. You know, God, He reveals His glory in these detours. But not only that, God also builds our faith. See, if we go back just a little bit in chapter 14 and verse 10, It says this, as Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, the people of Israel, they looked up and panicked. And when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? So here they are, pre-glory story in their lives. They're freaking out. (laughs) Would you be? I would be. They're freaking out right now. But here's what God's saying to them. Why do you think that I would take you out of of captivity to only bring you into harm here? 
I was reminded about a story in my life. It's kind of a weird story, but basically it goes like this. We built a house and we moved in, but it wasn't just us that moved in. There was like a family of mouse, mice, in the ceiling of our house. And um, my family knows that I'm the kind of person that is not just on a stool or something when there's a mouse in the house, but more on the kitchen bench. Like I go for the highest point every time. They just freak me out. And so for me, the idea that there was a whole tribe of them in the ceiling of our house that I could hear was quite nerving, I can tell you. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have we moved into? Maybe we should go back to that little flat we were staying in while we were building. (laughs) But that night, just to make things worse, there was a little gap in the top of the wall cavity at the back of our bed and the mice fell in. And so the whole night, if you can imagine mice scratching right behind your head, that's exactly what was happening. And that was our first night. (laughs) And then from there, we were like ringing the exterminators. What can you do? And they were like, oh no, have you got them in your walls? And we're like, yeah, they're in the walls. And they were like, well, the reality is they will actually just die because they're going to suffocate in there. And it's probably going to take them about three nights. I didn't really know this was the advice. It seemed a little bit inhumane, but I was like, okay, well, that's what they're telling us. So for three nights, we had the scratching, slowly dying mice behind our head. It was far from enjoyable. (laughs) But I'll tell you what happened in that time. My tolerance for mice built up. Because sometimes these mice, they wouldn't just stay in the ceiling but they would actually come and join us in our lounge room. And there would be moments that you're just happily minding your own business, maybe watching some TV, and a mouse comes running to greet you. And because this had been going on for a little while and the exterminators didn't seem to be getting all of them, what, what happened was actually that they started to become quite friendly mice. And they didn't mind hanging around. My point in this story is that by the end of that time, I don't care about mice anymore. They can run past, I'll look at them and I'll be like, hey, how you going? Like, I don't even care. The point I'm trying to make is that this is what God does through those things in our life that are far from ideal, things that we just wish would go away, those points in our life that feels like mess, that feels like chaos. That's not what we thought was coming. That's not the plan. We wanted to walk into our beautiful home, not full of mice. But God had something to do in me. He overcame a fear. (laughs) And let's look at what happened in the Israelite story. We've just read in verse 10 how they're crying out and they're saying, basically, it was better for us to go back into slavery than be in the situation that we're in now. And then if we fast forward past the glory story, past the Red Sea opening up, we can find a new frame of mind for the Israelites. Let's read at the end of chapter 14, verse 31. It says that they were filled with awe before Him. They put their faith in the Lord. 
See, what God does in detours is He builds our faith. They started by claiming that they wanted to run back to slavery because it just looked too hard. But by the end of the story, their faith was built. And if you read to the next chapter in chapter 15, it says that they wrote a new song to the Lord, a song of praise. You know, there's times where we're literally pushed to the end of ourselves. We're pushed beyond what we can possibly comprehend being able to do or being able to endure through. And in those times, we have no choice but to fall to our knees and trust God. And it's in that space of tension between the end of ourself and the beginning of who God is that we find the building of our faith. And so God... He uses that mess. He uses that perfect storm. He uses the detours in our life so that our faith is built. Why? So that we can enter into all that He has for us. Detours don't feel comfortable. They are often curveballs. We often do not see them coming and they can feel like a really long time. But God has a plan in them. If you would just endure through what He would say to you in that, through the faith that He would want to build in you. The story that He wanted to write in yours. I believe that there's someone here right now that is listening to this message and God would say to you that He is writing a new song for you to sing. Your song has been one where it's lacked hope, that it's been despair, But God right now is going to lead you to write that new song of praise and thanksgiving. I love that God often prompts us in His Word. And I think in Psalm 34, where it talks about how if we put our hope in His goodness and in His faithfulness, then we will not need for anything. And that's because if we're busy hoping in our circumstances, then we won't won't have everything go our way. We won't feel like we have all that we need or we want because we're putting our hope in the things of this world. But what God is saying is, no, put your hope in my goodness. If you trust my goodness, whatever that looks like, you will not need or want for anything. God God is imploring with you right now to shift your hope from the things that you've been putting it in, the circumstances changing, the needs that you think you have, and instead put all of your hope in the goodness of God. He has a story that He is writing in you, if you would endure through. I want to pray for you here right now. God, I thank You so much that You've brought today a word and season, Lord, to encourage us, God, that no matter what things look like, and if it was the biggest curveball of our life, Lord God, that You are right in the middle of it with us, writing our story and breathing over us a new song to sing. God, I speak that right now into the hearts of all those that are listening in. Lord God, I speak Your faith and Your courage, Lord God, to endure and to keep going. I thank You, Lord God, that You are sovereign, and that your hand is upon us. And I praise you, God, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.